in honor of ambulance, where does the next Jake Gyllenhaal hostage situation take place? I'm I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with that Sundance Junket interview for Velvet Buzzsaw, where he was tracked by Dan Gilroy, who kept mispronouncing melancholy as melancholy, and he kept having (laughs) to correct him. Uh, I'm Matt Patches. I will also make a Jake Gyllenhaal reference. His next hostage situation should take place in the bubble from Bubble Boy. (laughs) Not from the bubble. Not from the bubble. We'll get yeah, there. We'll, we'll, we'll get cover. There. Yeah, we'll cover that. <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven, and uh, based off of life, I think you put him back in space, but as the full antagonist this time, hostage antagonist. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and Initially, I was going to say that his host- his next hostage crisis movie should take place at the Oscars, a hostage crisis that our own Katie Rich recently escaped with her life. But mm. I think, in keeping with the theme of this lightning round, I have to go with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's next. Hostage crisis movie. Hostage crisis movie. Say that ten times fast. Should take place in the bathroom of Austin's Paramount Theater at, uh, at a screening. Uh, after which, someone has ta- tried to take a sneak pic of his junk, and Jake Gyllenhaal has had to uh, throat slam him onto the ground, uh, and that is devolved into a hostage situation. In this case, I guess uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the one taking hostages, but. Wow, I knew that story that, and had completely right? forgotten about it. Were we there? Yeah, that happened. I, I'm, we I'm like disappointed by your right. Bo- wait, by... we were right behind him in the in the oh, line, yeah. right? We were. We yeah. were. You three guys feet watched away. that happen? This happened. Okay, I did. I wasn't making um, that up. I'm like, I don't want to say. No, that. I, I mean, like, this did is I read this about is this also, or did I live this. Like, like not only did we see this with our own our own two eyes, watching source code, bridesmaid. Oh, source code. Source code. But this was. This is also. You know, in a story that I figured, even if we hadn't been there, you would all be a little bit more conversant in. It is established Jake Gyllenhaal internet lore. Um, I'm disappointed in all of you. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 387. It's pandemic 107. It's the week of April 6th. Uh, that's the day that in 2009, J.J. Abrams, Abrams opened his first star reboot, Star Trek. Man, I'm really distressed by that being a historical moment because I remember it well. Great I guess movie. we didn't cover it on this podcast. Yeah. I love that movie. Love I cried. That movie. I cried. Oh, yeah. When that Kirk's dad dies, I cried. Chris Hemsworth. Before no, we knew not, him, no. I, I mean, I wasn't emotional about that. I just, I'd never seen Chris Hemsworth by that. But, but that scene is so good. That scene's great. But I cried when, like, the friendship, like the broship between Kirk and Spock. There was something about that that really got under my skin. I saw that at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York. Like, is there a wow. more pristine, wonderful venue? That's uh, also where we saw uh, The Force Awakens, the other J.J. Abrams star reboot. <laughs> we see all, see all of J.J. Abrams movies at the now defunct. Oh. Now defunct. <laughs> I remember when we lived um, in New York and we were young. I do. <laughs> I, uh, I should say when we start, because I learned, David, I don't have COVID. I had, live in the South where there is pine pollen that is making my head crazy. Isn't pine pollen but just I'm what okay. they call COVID below the Mason-Dixon line? Yeah, you can actually just see it floating through the air. It's it's weird how that oh, works. Oh, you got a case of the old uh, pine COVID, pollen. Our, our COVID it's not in our numbers. Um, I don't know if we have any reviews. So I'm going to ask David in all sincerity. David, do we have any reviews? Uh, we do indeed, Katie. Uh, we do Yay. indeed. Would you like to hear one? I'd love to. Oh, great. We have, we have one. Uh, one new review, at least on the iTunes page, from JDog539. Uh, I'm assuming, of course, that JDog is a reference to the son in Paddington 2's rap name uh, and have no reason to think otherwise. Um, they say, yelling into the air about Oscar opinions. Usually, I tend to agree with Ehrlich anyway. Good start, good start. But I couldn't believe he was in the minority with his hatred for the ceremony's treatment of the cut categories. This is the one night that a sound mixer, costume designer, or short film filmmaker gets to be honored on the same stage as A-list celebrities. Yeah, their speeches may be awkward and sometimes incoherent, but so what? This is their night, and they should be just as honored. To chop their speeches up and play them off year after year is ridiculous. They aired them. 
They, no, they, they chopped uh, them up. They, they did chop them up. They did not air the whole Badges, you continue. Speeches. I understand that you have a second child that's going to be born within 48 hours of recording this, but you have been <laughs> so misinformed on this issue consistently on a week-by-week basis. It's polluting your mind uh, to bring a new child into this world. I hope you can clear the air before this child Look, has to breathe it. I watched anyway. all two hours of Alex Jones' post-Oscar <laughs> broadcast, and he's telling me <laughs> that there were no cuts or... <laughs> Um, I think it shows a real contempt for filmmaking, J-Dog says, and they are right. Anyway, love the show and hearing from you guys every week. Uh, well, J-Dog, we love hearing from you this week, and you will not be hearing from Patches um, in the coming weeks because we are uh, banning him from the show. Isn't it interesting how we think also that, he is um, having a child truncating so the Oscar speeches is uh, an affront to the art, but the Oscars themselves turning movies into a dog race are not an affront to the art. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I, I think we've wow. all sort of processed how uh, awarding art in that way and making it in such a competition oh, on the end is, <laughs> is an affront to art, but it's also sort of a necessary evil at this point in keeping the business Now, the MTV Movie Awards, but, they just let it all uh, Right. Uh, bring back Best Kiss. That's going to save the Oscars. Um, <laughs> Patches, do you want to take this opportunity to explain why you won't be here for a little while? Even though I think it's pretty I mean, I it's been explained. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, as you mentioned, going to have another kid. Uh, yeah, I haven't talked about that much, but uh, we're going to do that, bring more life into the world. Uh, by life, I mean Jake Gyllenhaal film. Um, mm-hmm. New copy, we're ripping. Wow, Daniel DVDs. Espinosa in the news. <laughs> He's everywhere. It's a Venom prequel. Uh, no, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be gone for a little bit. I don't know how long, because I'm going to need something to do. I'm, like, taking some, some solid time off to raise a child. But, uh, are, are you, how I'll long are you off of work? Disgust, uh, dis- please mean, disgust our, our listeners by telling them about the beautiful America you live in where you I'd actually get not. a uh, healthy paternity leave. <laughs> I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. I could take uh, like 16 weeks off from work. Dave, beep that out. I don't want people to be upset. <laughs> the, just the, yeah, the denomination of weeks. Honestly. Stop stop <laughs> making podcasts I have to cut up, David. No, I was yeah, kidding about loves, in this case. David loves giving a notes. No, we're keep it keep it in. No, everyone Double I it, as pro, Griffin would say. Uh, Thirty two weeks. Yeah. Everyone should get time off. Every state is going afford that. Everyone should get their time off. Not fast. Take advantage enough. if you can. Last time I had a kid, I didn't take advantage, actually, which is weird because I switched jobs. It sucked. So I'm off, but I'll probably come back to the podcast pretty soon. I don't like editing. I got nothing to do. I'll talk about movies. I think if you have a child, you should never have to work again. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, you just have to work for your child. Right. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think you shouldn't have to do that either. Uh, if you would like to leave us a review and brag about how many weeks of paternity leave. I didn't brag. You, got, you asked me to uh, do it. <laughs> please go on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Uh, leave us a review. Read it live on the show great fun for everyone or if you would like to reach us by other means particularly if you are not in the united states and therefore can't reach our uh, itunes page uh, dave where should they email us you email us at f-i-t-w-r dot podcast at gmail.com you decoding man you send you up reason colon nine to nine two so all right Uh, for our first segment tonight, I, I want to talk about, I feel like we don't get enough time to talk about the industry and celebrities and the actors in the movies. Because I have, I have like, I don't know, Rachel Zegler. I want to talk about Rachel Zegler. She was actually at the Oscars. She, RZ. I don't want to recap. I don't want to recap too much of this, but she originally was not invited to the Oscars, I guess. Katie fact-checked this, but Rachel Zegler of West Side Story you know, this is Steven Spielberg discovered her. She was in New Jersey making YouTube videos, and they were like, "You have an amazing voice. You could play this part, and we can put you in a movie." And here she is leading this cast. I think she's okay in the movie. Everyone else here, I think, likes her a lot more than I do. But um, she is that is that whatever. the impetus behind this she segment? Really? It. No, it's not. We're not going to. Is, I'm not going to drag Rachel Zegler's dunk ass. On Rachel Zegler. No, I am not. I'm saying she does show promise. I'm very curious about her career. And what really struck me is her appearance at the Oscars um, was very like, I'm the young person. 
I'm the ingenue. I'm the like new coming talent, summer talent, and like she feels she very was presenting with uh, with that tall guy from Euphoria, who's also right. You know, young and youthful. Yeah, they were like young people, <laughs> young like, and youthful too, in this economy. Young and youthful. I know. <laughs> um, it blows my mind too. But here's Rachel the thing. Ziegler is very young. After the Oscars, I watched our pals uh, on the George Lucas. What what is what is Cotter's the George Lucas talk Cotter show? Rappers? The George Clues talk show. They were doing an Oscar like live broadcast, okay? And Connor, I think, knows Rachel, and Rachel like phoned in from backstage on the Oscars because she is very online and was calling it to this just like comedy bit. I, I thought it was really hilarious, but she she's fascinating because I wonder. And here's the real question for all of you: like, where is Rachel Zegler going? Where are we at with young actors like this who? who get their foot in the door, who are blowing up, because I feel once upon a time, if it was like Kate Winslet or it was Jodie Foster, like you'd be starring in these prestige movies and you'd maybe be building a career out of out of that, being the Discovery or Anna Paquin or someone like try, trying to find equally challenging roles that kind of elevate... In a world where we no longer time. make fly away home, what well, can you do? Uh, I mean, I, 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 Anna Paquin's a weird example because she struggled for a long time to figure yeah. out what her thing was. I okay. want to clarify I, a few She was an X-Men and too, also but. point out that Patches buried the lead, which is that Rachel Zegler is in an effect that I find very charming, dating the actor who played Chino. Uh, so Chino, of all people, she is? Scott I did not realize the girl. That. Yes. Uh, okay. with oh, I, cool. the, chin- yeah. the new Chino is so cute. Uh, oh. Well... Let me let me set up my question. Well, is anyway, point. anyway, you set, it up, you set it up just fine, Patches. No, no, you set it up just fine. No, but I, I gotta um, I gotta show you the sides of this conversation because here's the thing. I was going through Rachel Zegler. I'm like, who's gonna get Rachel Zegler next? Like, what path is she on? And her next roles are a little eyebrow raised. Like, she's appearing in the Shazam sequel. She's gonna be Snow White in a Mark Webb directed live action Disney Snow White movie. And now she just got announced that she's gonna voice some princessy type adventure role in an apple animated skydance movie and i'm just like what what is is she an influencer turned actor or is she like on a tom holland path where you know she's on a very clear path that has been blazed before and, she's and on are, the what is she's she? on the adina menzel path i mean it, it couldn't oh, be clearer no, no, no way but see no, i don't know if she's on the broadway wait. path like doing a broadway well, Medina, show I mean, Menzel has... would be huge Adina Menzel has her old, has her you know many different avenues of Adina Menzelness, but um, you know I think Rachel Zegler has more potential to be a leading lady. Um, she's breaking into movies a lot younger than Adina Menzel was, but um, when Adina Menzel was really on Broadway. But in terms of longevity of her career, of the roles that she'll be able to find, of the home she'll be able to make for herself, voicing Disney characters, singing in enchanted like um, you know Disney Plus movies, uh, you know starring in musicals. Trying to make her way in in dramas. I mean, I think that while Patch's point is well taken about the fact that like it's unclear really, uh, other than going the Marvel route, what anyone's career path is at that level. Uh, I think that you know her talent, especially in the musical theater space, is so evident that like there there will be a place for her, a place that is very well charted by other and older people. By, but by who? And, Are, it sounds like you're comparing her more to. Um, uh, I have to look her up her name up a louis cavalajo who voiced uh, moana who you know she voiced an animated character but she still found like a career she got to be in the little mermaid live uh tv special she is about to appear in a netflix movie um she's not famous but she actually leveraged a, a voice role in moana into a career not an not a famous career i i don't think you could probably mm. pick her out of a lineup of, of disney stars but like is that what rachel zegler is doing now, or is she like big time? I, I what I don't I understand is how young people actually leverage these Definitely big opportunities. Because I think she used I also the lead about, in Steven yeah. Spielberg's West Side Story. But here's, I mean, that right. is something so do you, that so she let me will compare her to, to someone. Remember. Do you think that she is she could be on like a Dev Patel track? Where I actually think Dev Patel ends up being kind of anonymous in Slumdog Millionaire, at least the narrative of it. I don't think he got nominated for Best Actor or anything. He's just like no. kind of a component of this movie. That in retrospect might be a bit of an appropriation to like take these Indian actors and a lot of Indian actors kind of fall to the wayside if you look at Life of Pi or if you look at the younger actors in Slub Dog Billionaire. Frida Pinto made it. But um I I, I Deb Patel seems like an extraordinary case where it's like 
I don't think people were talking about Dev Patel that much when Slumdog won Best Picture. And yet here we are. Dev Patel is like major, hot guy, green knight. Everyone wants him to be James Bond. Like he made it. Like that was huge. I feel like he actually triumphed and overcame a lot of what like Hollywood brushes people who break out to the side. Um, and I don't know if Rachel Zegler is like in that type of arc and if she'll make it. And I'm very curious, like what being a young actor, like what trajectory you have to be on. I don't know if she just has to be on Instagram until she's famous again. Yeah, I, I read this as much closer to like the Disney teens, the arc that that takes, where like you have a musical based entertainment career, but ultimately you're your own advocate until you've decided to free yourself from a like company. Like Vanessa Hudgens, who had to like co host the Oscar red carpet this year. Or how about yeah. Zendaya? She seems to be doing great. I don't know. Like, I, I, I think Rachel Zegler has a million paths ahead of her. It depends more on what she like, what her next projects do than West Side Story. I think she's like perfectly primed to have a great career. Or I was thinking about Lily Collins, who played Snow White mm. ten years ago and bounced around, and now has a huge hit Netflix series. Like, she's like twenty years old. She's really pretty. She's really talented, and is hugely popular on Instagram. Like, I don't think there's a problem for her. Well, then. This kind of brings me to another thing where I feel like Tom Holland is interesting case study as well because he had a, like a young he, he was really young in The Impossible a movie man nobody talks about that but actually I think it's pretty good even though a lot of people thought it was disaster porn or whatever uh, Tom Holland I don't know is he kind of devolving like I don't get his career either and he's super famous he's like well, he didn't, he's making he, Spider Man he movies made... but like what's that guy doing in twenty years. What do young He's kids do? He's fine. What is, what is like, I'm why worried about the that kids. Children, they're fine. Tom yeah. Holland was in an entirely separate hit franchise movie that came out a month ago. Like, he's fine. Uh, well, he's it's like, I, like, I don't think, I, I don't think, uh, just because, you know, Tom Holland hasn't necessarily been making good movies. He's, you know, he hasn't been able to cross over into that thing where I'm starting to think of him as like, maybe he needs to be in prestige films. Uh, he was in that, what, the devil everywhere all the time in me, <laughs> like that mess that of a classic movie. Netflix yeah, film. sure. Uh, he, he, I think, was like underserved by Cherry as a project as a whole, so I don't really like hold that against David him. I didn't Cherry. see Uncharted. <laughs> but I, I feel like it, like that's the sort of thing that you have to leap over if when you start out as a young star like this, is if you want to become something like a timothy chalamet that could have you know feet in both sides then you need to be able to jump the line i don't think rachel ziegler has i don't think she has to until this like being a musically talented uh physically beautiful young woman in hollywood who makes movies that don't lose money i think is going to work out really well for her if she (laughs) wants more uh and wants to you know like jump over into like dramas or do a whole bunch of indies i think she definitely has a couple of years before she needs to make that choice but like i'm not too worried about them because even their bad movies make more money than i I ever will i guess i'm worried that like the whole being an influencer part of being famous now is a black hole and katie i think you wrote about this already this week which is like rachel zegler also showed up to the grammys to sing at the grammys and the grammys is just a that is like that's being a celebrity that's not being like a great artist anymore that's just being famous i, I think i mean but what people... we've seen what we've she seen was on the there past... with a bunch of broadway people i know but it, yeah i don't know i stupid i, I don't what know that's a step down the grammys are a step I mean, down i think if pat patches would feel <laughs> a lot more comfortable if we lived around the age that rachel ziegler was born in like the early 2000s 2001 where a nice studio could take her in and be like you're gonna make millions of dollars baby for like all of our movies. But the thing is that doesn't exist anymore. So she's actually got a leg up because all the other actors who are waiting for a Will Smith at Sony deal, which is never going to happen again. She is actually out there promoting herself. She got herself invited to the Oscars. She's the one calling into like crazy internet shows. Like you pointed out, she is her own advocate. She's in the Rachel Ziegler business and being able to exist in that and not have some weird cognitive dissonance. Like I think all four of us would, having not grown up needing to be that online uh, is, is her power. And that's the power she's, she's going to harness. She's so a maybe, lot more powerful than someone like Tom Holland in that respect. So maybe the wrap up question here is uh, during the Dune endless Dune press cycle, 
Timothy Chalamet did some interview where he was like, I got advice early on, and this famous actor told me, don't do a superhero movie. Don't do it. And, like, this is this is the key to your success. Like, keep making interesting movies or make big blockbuster movies that you really care about. I mean, the man will star in a Wonka prequel uh, next year. So let's not say Timothy Chalamet uh, is too picky. He was also, he was also in Dune. I yeah. Well, yeah, and he was in Dune, of course. That's what I mean. Um, but someone told him no superhero movies. So I do wonder, like, it, when you click into the Disney brand, as Tom Holland has done, as Rachel Zegler is about to do with Snow White, can you can we imagine these people have a career in like twenty years? Or is I, the question here for all of you is is Timothy Chalamet right, or is this uh, uh, sage who he has taken advice from correct about careers in this day and age? Like, can we imagine people getting to the Anthony Hopkins level of winning an Oscar when they're seventy? If this is how you start your career now, that's really where I'm like galaxy getting to. Yeah, oh, what the fuck. Jeff Bridges started off on some dumb shit like TV show. I am like, totally that started... dad right now who's like, if you don't decide your career right now, you're not going to have a living. You're going to be. Can anyone have, have a successful career after starring on Bosom Buddies at the beginning of their career? I don't know. You're being insane. All of this stuff is being rewritten. If anyone will have a career in 20 years, we'll consider ourselves lucky that the movie industry has survived. But these kids are fine. Yeah. Like, also, all the failed superhero movie actors that we think of, they're all fine. George Clooney. But, like, uh, fine. George Clooney's fine. I'm never oh, worried yeah. about George Clooney's quality of life. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. doing fine. Doing fine. Multiple superheroes. Val Kilmer, doing fine. Jennifer Chris Lawrence, Evans. in a franchise nobody really liked that much, doing great. Is Ryan Reynolds doing I'm sure doing Chris well? Evans is doing fine. Are we sure Chris Ryan Reynolds is doing well? What is He's doing well financially. <laughs> He's doing well financially. <laughs> You think he doesn't want to be that, in Free Guy? That and his skin color gives him the freedom to do well wherever <laughs> else he wants. Damn. Do I think he wants to be in Free Guy? I think he professionally knows he should be. I don't know. Like Ryan Reynolds could easily go make his like passion project. He was in the um, that movie with Ben Middleton. Like it's probably been ten years, but like he's capable of going and making Wait, one what was for it? himself. Turn the river or what was that movie called? No, <laughs> what was the directors called? of Captain Marvel. Wait, which which movie? Where Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds made with uh, Anna Bone and Ryan Fleck. Uh, oh, uh, Mississippi Grind. Mississippi no. Grind. Wow, he was very really? good. Um, uh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds' IMDb page is completely unusable now because it is Deadpool garbage, like clogging the entire thing. This is crazy. And he uh, basically I, got that Rachel made. Zegler from. But I do think okay. that you know no. patches, patches his no. galaxy plane galaxy brain take galaxy is not plane. helping anyone uh, find clarity here. But I do think that like there is a way to <laughs> get on the Anthony Hopkins track even while you're young in this climate. And I think you need to achieve a certain degree of prestige rather than fame in order to get there. I think I look at somebody like Shersha Ronan who only makes at most one movie a year uh, right. and is always greeted with certain plaudits and. Um, it's always sort of a big deal when she commits herself to a project. And that is because she has eventized herself in a way, it made it a big deal. I mean, like her performances were so well received. The projects were big enough. And, and again, the Academy machine was doing its thing um, that she was able to reach that point early on without having to be in a franchise. Um, Excuse me, she and, was Stephanie Meyer's yeah. the host. Yeah, I know. Oh, that, yeah. that When I said without having to be in a franchise, that poster flashed oh, in right. front of my no, eyes. But, yeah, I mean, then yeah, again, Emma Stone was in Zombieland too, and it didn't hurt her at all. Like I, just, I don't think that like this snobbery is no real. Up. Yeah, well, this is also those are very different people from a you know performer that debuted as somebody else said earlier in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Like you have enough cred there to split into musicals or to split like she's done into more uh, music based uh, film, and I think. Those are fine. I I would be worried about her maybe in five years if she's having a, you know, I'm in nine movies type of year. Then she's like overexposed. But the only thing that seems weird about Rachel Zegler right now is that she seems more in control of her own brand than any of the people who've hired her, uh, which seems just like a misuse of their their PR. All right. Let's make a vow. In five years, we'll reconvene, talk about Rachel Zegler's again uh mm-hmm. still be doing this podcast see how put it in your phone podcast. for I'm wishing the, the, the night before your your baby's fifth birthday we have to record <laughs> a, a podcast <laughs>
with the dream my cardigan Welcome to the land of fame access Am I gonna fit in? Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time Look to my right and I see the Hollywood sign This is all so crazy Everybody seems so famous My tummy's turning and I'm feeling kinda homesick David, this is my... Actually, I did, this is my... So I... Uh, I I'm suspicious of all the trend TV, and recently the trend has been all these scammer shows. Uh, and the Elizabeth Holmes one we've talked about on this podcast uh, passed mustard with me. Um, and I said mustard, but you know, passed mustard. Um, but the uh, uh, the others looked a little bit sketchy, uh, especially the one that had Jared Leto in it for obvious reasons. Even though I do sometimes find myself defending his performances as I did in House of Gucci, um, if not, you know, how he achieves them or whatever he's doing off camera. But um, I got COVID last week. And I uh, spent the day where I, like the one day where I was really feeling any symptoms um, in bed watching five straight hours of We Crash, the show about WeWork on Apple TV Plus starring Jared Leto as Adam Newman, the CEO and founder of We Crash, of We Crashed. Of, they they we, shouldn't have called it We Crash. We really, uh, were a self-fulfilling prophecy, I know, of uh, We Work and his wife, who's put by Anne Hathaway. And I did that knowing that Katie Rich, our own Katie Rich, has an entire podcast Hi. devoted to We Crash. Dave Gonzalez also works on this podcast, let's be clear. And I'm not on most of the episodes, so it's more Dave's you, podcast. It's called the Katie Cast. It was invented mm-hmm. by Katie about mm-hmm. Katie. For I, invent- Katie. I invented podcasts. And uh, I watched the show. The show is directed, the pilot is directed by the guys who made um, Not Eat, Pray, Love, uh, Love. What's that? Crazy fucking? Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love. And it feels <laughs> exactly like that. It is, it is, you know, as broad as it could possibly get. It's all very glossy and snazzy and doesn't seem to really be about anything other than... I figured it would be more um, I love you, Philip Morris, rather than... They did do that, which is a more interesting movie. Um, And, uh, you know, even Crazy Stupid Love has its charms. But these guys are very slick, and the the show does not seem particularly interested in the six episodes I've seen of of getting too far uh, under the surface. But, Katie... Jared Leto is like magnetic in this show. It is it is undeniable as much as I might wish to deny it. And now, you know, I've been we were talking off mic about the the rumors. Um, and I'm not sure how credible they are. I'm not sure. I, I didn't really know anything about them. That Jared yeah, Leto has yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, he might have a sex goal. If he does sentence, have a sex goal, like, like, the only reason look, I'm bringing it up. If anyone we discuss all in this episode is turns out to have a sex call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mean to leave that in where we're, you know, where we're doing conjecture about whatever crimes he may have committed, and uh, you know if yeah, that comes to pass, we'll get there. But, but <laughs> no, no. Balls. Let me. He has on this article that I'm reading that is alluding to his banning his goal. There is interesting evidence that he, as part of his band, has thrown these retreats, these like cult-like retreats, uh, where everyone participates in activities uh, that seem. It all seems not super far removed from the WeWork episode where they, or the WeCrash episode oh, where uh, WeWork takes back. everybody to, yeah, I was trying to, <laughs> but sometimes it's an issue <laughs> on a podcast with four people where you don't talk about what you're talking about in advance, um, where we it seemed like he was essentially on WeCrashed acting a kind of scaled down secondhand version of an out-of-body crazy experience that he himself has participated in and led in his personal life. And I wonder if that plus his, like, you know, really uh, actory impression of being an Israeli. Um, and neither neither he nor Anne Hathaway are Jewish, uh, which, you know, my, your mileage may vary. For me, it did not bother me. Um, I don't know. I think I've sort of internalized the shame and just being excited whenever beautiful people are cast as Jews and things. Um, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something uncanny about his performance that I can't take my eyes away from, even though I feel slightly revolt. Uh, there's something slightly revolting about that. Katie, is that something that you That's find? That's why it's so good. I also think Anne Hathaway is kind of perfect on this show. I don't know if you want no. to talk about her. But no, like, I mean, like the scene I love where, Anne she Hathaway. Does the, where she does check off is uh, almost drive my it's, car levels, but much cringier. Much, much cringier. Um, yeah, I think they're both amazing on the show, and I think you're exactly right that it uses Jared Leto's, like, weird movie star charisma well. He has brown contacts, which makes him 
less handsome and therefore like more human, but still has that like similarly intense, like if he looked you directly in the eye, you'd be hypnotized kind of effect, which by all accounts, the real Adam Newman had. I mean, my colleague Gabe Sherman like wrote a piece when we were kind of fell apart with the headline quote, you don't bring bad news to the cult leader. Like people compared the real Adam Newman to a cult leader in a lot of circumstances, which is why he's so well cast on the show. He's got this like weird energy, this conviction that he can't fail. But I also like feel for him on this show. I don't know if that works for you, David. Like, I don't think it's as invested in the like internal character dynamics as the dropout, which is also on right now. And it's also really good. Um, but I think you get him and, um, Anne Hathaway as Rebecca Newman as people, even if they're monsters. And I think that's a really impressive effect of the show. Yeah. I mean, there's... yeah. Hey, Dave, no, go on. Oh no. I was just going to say like the, the, the reason Jared Leto works is this character and it's start, the series starts and obviously, you know, you're watching Anne Hathaway and Jared Leto, unless this is your first exposure to them for some reason. Um, but like as the series goes on, I've started, you know, fully investing in them as characters. And I, with Anne Hathaway, it definitely feels like some type of performance, but with Jared Leto, it's more like I got to ease into what seem like very minute differences between my perception of Jared Leto and his perception of Adam Newman. So the more things that I could see of like the same way that he's going to require they wheelchair him to the bathroom while he's <laughs> playing Michael Morbius on set, uh, you know, lines up with somebody who breaks off a really important meeting to do the Harlem shake and a werewolf mask, like all those things align to me in a way that makes him performance believable, even if the script isn't really trying to kick you in one direction, which I, his, I don't, uh, I've been listening to a lot of, still watching and getting to hear some of the creatives behind this series uh, talk about why they made it. And they definitely don't want you to feel like the series is pushing you into feeling something about the Newmans that is uh, forced or steered any sort of way. They're definitely going to uh, show you some things they think are important, but it's up for you to make your conclusions at the end, Uh, which is odd because it sort of lets you buy into the charisma of these two performances without necessarily feeling like you're, you know, buying in maybe to a tech scammer like the dropouts trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I, um, as someone who isn't intimately familiar with the WeWork story, but obviously knows from uh, the title of the show alone that it probably doesn't end well, you know, five or six episodes in, I'm still, it's, it's, there, there is evidence or hints as to how this could all fall apart, but, um, there is, a sort of morbid thrill of seeing when this guy's rabid, egomaniacal overconfidence is going to come around and bite him in the ass. And, uh, um, you know, if you hate Jared Leto, uh, there's probably some schadenfreude in it for you, but, uh, it, it is uncanny to me and that he, he, like there is a cult of personality around him to some degree, whether or not it's nefarious, the jury kind of seems still out. Although this article that I'm reading for the first time is not super flattering and or uh, promising, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. There is, there is something uncanny there. It's, it's, it's the more, more just, yeah. the, for, in terms of, uh, parts from this particular actor, the more he's somebody with the utmost confidence that's knocked down a few pegs, the more I like it. That's, mm. you know, why I liked House of Gucci. That's why We Crashed is working. If there are times I liked his portrayal of the Joker, it was because that this thing that was supposed to be super imposing and super scary just gets consistently knocked down to like Batman's F level villain. So maybe that's just, that's his niche. You know, it's just everybody wants to feel like Jared Leto, the actor is getting his comeuppance and his (laughs) fictional parts sort of lean into that. Um, It is interesting. We should say for the record, zero of the four people on this podcast have seen Morbius. Um, That's a true. Zero for four, but maybe uh, maybe we'll also do it. in five years. We we'll, in this podcast in we're going to have the sequel podcast. Five years we'll, from today, we will have all seen Morbius and we will be reviewing it. Fine, we'll, <laughs> we're committing to reviewing. I will Morbius. watch it in the next five years. Absolutely, I won't unless you make me. What? But yes, you have check in five years. I already <laughs> watched a stupid movie for you guys this week. The we're getting vampire. <laughs> 
We crashed. It's wrapping up on Apple TV Plus and uh, still watching tech shows. Yeah. Running now. Yeah. Podcasts. up the show we're going to review and talk through to bigger ideas maybe uh (laughs) about a new netflix release unfortunately not the richard linklater animated film which i realized probably would have been a special conversation we still could talk about apollo 10 and a half yeah we probably should have done that um instead instead (laughs) we're gonna talk about the bubble a movie i cannot tell if it exists uh, in normal people's lives did this I feel like it got zero promotion. It just got, kind of got. It was dropped. at the top of my Netflix page when I opened Netflix okay. to watch the bubble, but I have so no real idea. Are watching the bubble. I mean, I don't know that I'm evidence of real. Netflix knows my viewing habits. This I don't know. Is the new film from Judd Apatow, which uh, surprised after King of Staten Island and a streak of doing more down to earth, rounded comedy dramas, he made the mm. farce. Uh, very opportunistic. I mean, it was one of those things where a pandemic comes along and there's nothing else cooking, and so you figure, let's you just go by the seat of our pants and of South yeah. Park, and you do some jokes and you make a comedy that's all about the situation. This is a movie about a bunch of people trying to make a movie in the bubble situation. Uh, the cast includes Kara Gillan, uh, Fred Armisen as the director of the movie, David Duchovny is the lead. They're making the sixth installment of Cliff Beasts, some sort of, well, would we call this a Jurassic Park meets, I, I don't know, the font they use is very Jurassic Park, but like what? It's, it's got sort of a Jurassic doesn't have an world. analogous yeah. blockbuster. It's like a Resident Evil version of a Jurassic Park franchise. I think yeah, that's like, a good way to put it. It's but they're supposed to be very popular, but they do look and feel like they are deliberately Low budget. Um, are they movie, made, are but, they making fun of the Jumanji movies that Karen Gillan no, is no, actually well, in? No, I think. Well, one of the many things that's not funny about Cliff Beast is that <laughs> it doesn't, as Patches is saying, it doesn't have a real world analog. It feels like it's just sort of like a silly not a Marvel movie, movie that is clearly uh, laughable, um, which is the least funny way to go here. But the movie, The Bubble, was inspired by the production of Jurassic World Dominion, you know, which was one of the first oh, big blockbusters okay. that was shot in a bubble. And so that is a that is a connection, but I don't think that it was explicitly modeled after that. I gotcha. So yes, they're all trying to make a big CG fest with a bunch of actors but also, who are living in a hotel. They show so much of the movie itself that you think that you need to know what the movie is, like what Cliff Beast is all about, but you don't really. But they just really spend a lot of money on their own CGI dinosaurs for some reason. Flying dinosaurs. I mean, they're kind yep, of dragons. Those two. Yep. Well, and they're kind of dinosaurs. spend money somewhere. The pro- well, the oh, problem yeah, there is, is that- one that does a TikTok dance. You're right. <laughs> The, well, the, the, you know, we'll get to this, but one of the big issues of the movie and why it feels so dated is because they're making all these very broad jokes about things that we've all processed in our own time very early in the pandemic. And um, they've added no sort of, you know, swerve to them. And uh, one of the reasons the movie has taken so long to come out after being shot last February is because the post-production involved a lot of CGI elements for this you know stupid comedy that would have been better you know appreciated as a daily vlog they could have just like done tiktoks right. from the Soderberg set would have gotten this uh, and that would have been the right fun. time right. Uh, but it took a... judd apatow in true judd apatow movie delivers a movie that's way too long i mean it is over two hours it is like, full of cg special effects long. to a, a, a pointless degree and uh so i read an interview with judd apatow i, I forget who he was talking maybe it was like the rap um ooh. But uh, he was mentioning that this was an opportunity. Making a movie at Netflix was the opportunity to to kind of design a movie that would be watched like whenever you want. Uh, you don't have to sit through all two hours of the bubble. You could turn it on. You could turn it off. Uh, it would just have lots of jokes, and it would just kind of like run continuously. Again, why not vlogs? Why not TikToks? <laughs> if you want to make something that just bites off, like, how about television? Why are like, you making or a movie? A Quibi. Could it's this like, have oh, been a Quibi? This, this would have been, been the perfect made for. Quibi show. This would have been the <laughs> that is the thing. It's like you're describing something that isn't a movie. Why are you making a movie? <laughs> and yet it is It is a movie. It's a very long movie. And 
I so David, I read your review on IndieWire.com. Just like pairing movie with new asshole. Um, yeah. I read that first, and then I was still like, we should watch this movie and talk about it on the <laughs> podcast because I just want to run the gauntlet. I like I don't understand how bad this could be. I will say this. It's not it's not atrocious. Like I wasn't cringing the whole way. I was more mystified by the whole exercise and just like what this movie was setting out accomplish what it thinks jokes are and (laughs) why i was occasionally laughing at it it's so bloated and so strange that i think some actors come out of it on top and some just like totally flame out and of course judd apatow's second daughter who is not in euphoria is also in this movie so it has a strange like nepotism twist and it's making like tiktok jokes it's sort of it's a very weird movie so i'm kind of curious what everybody's reaction was to it because it has a lot going on and yet so little i made i saw someone make a joke on twitter that was like the netflix should run the bubble challenge how far can you get into this movie before <laughs> um, i watched the I, I had to watch it twice because i i watched it the first time and then made the fatal mistake that i i should know better by now and will never learn uh of waiting several days before i sat down to review it and by that point, in order to write about it honestly, it felt like I needed to see it again because yeah, so little totally of it stuck the first time. Life. Woof. Andrew Bird did the music. Andrew what? Bird did uh, the music. Yeah. Why? What? M- money Why during a pandemic? I don't know. I guess that's right. So what, what did everyone think? Katie, you watched this movie. What did you make of the bubble? Is this a return for Judd Apatow to just straight, funny, yuck, yuck comedy? I always think, like, you're talking about how it's not atrocious, which I think is probably true. Like, it has things that are of a higher quality than some of the worst comedies I've seen. But everyone in this movie knows better. So it's more infuriating that you're watching them, like, pretend that this is character development and pretend that this is a joke or that, like, any of these scenes make sense from moment to moment. Like, Judd Apatow, I don't know if people now like if teenagers now of the like euphoria age realize what a huge deal Judd Apatow was and like how much of modern comedy was shaped in his image and like it's like he saw Tropic Thunder in 2008 was like shit I could have done my version of that and then waited 14 years and made a worse one and was like that's fine it's so lazy from top to bottom that it made me angrier than if it had been worse I mean, they were really yeah, sort of it, flying by the. They're, they're flying by the seat of their pants. I mean, they had a script, um, but they were, you know, the, the art imitates life. They were there on the set, sequestered uh, with a lot of the cast. I mean, they were still by the time they rolled cameras on this, uh, vaccines had not been made widely available. I don't know to what degree. It was February of 2021. I don't know to what degree the cast and crew had been vaccinated. Uh, the crew of Cliff B Six, by the way, curiously absent for most of the movie. <laughs> There's like occasionally like a a gaffer in the background, but whatever. Um, but it did feel like they were sort of making it up as they went along on set. And I think the tedium of, of doing this and being stuck there just didn't prove inspiring. But uh, when Katie says that everyone should know better, I do think it's interesting that the people like Judd Apatow has a long history that Katie was also alluding to of being a, a uh, you know, a, a real champion for people who uh, other comedians. I mean, you saw that, with the movies that he made at the start of his career and then recently has really pivoted to just sort of helping um, lift comedians up. Uh, You see it in TV shows he produced, but also in star vehicles like Trainwreck and The King of Staten Island. And he does it again here. I mean, I think like the the people who shine brightest in this movie or shine at all are the people that we've never heard of before, Um, but will remember, you know, because they've acquitted themselves here. I mean, people like Harry Trevelyan. Uh, it plays Gunther, the awkward COVID safety he officer. Is the, he is the MVP. His speech Thank is you. like giving um, people sexy eyes is actually. Uh, you, um, who <laughs> else? Shake his head no. What? You don't like that little riff? Like everything in this movie, it just riffs way too long probably. But yep. He's, he's um, no, there, there, are, there are other. Guz Khan or Guz Khan as Howie Frangopoulos, uh, the guy who plays Gerard, the first person to leave the movie. Um, he, you know, is uh, pardoned for his sins after after about 30 minutes, but makes a good impression while he's there. Maria Bakalova of Borat 2 fame, I she think, does a nice person. job. She is playing She's a, a star. Yeah, I mean, she's playing uh, the, the clerk at the hotel who is hit on by Pedro Pascal's character. Pedro Pascal going into broad comedy territory. Also, you know, the material is way beneath him, but he's giving Really not a big difference between his Wonder Woman 2 
It's true. I mean, he can go big, <laughs> but he plays sort of an Oscar winning actor who's slumming it here. And he sort of um, is is skulking around the bar, just like looking for impressed young women who want to have sex with him. And she spins him on his head uh, in the span of a single moment in a way that it, it is should funny. be funnier should watching be funnier. Pedro Pascal wander a hotel asking people to have sex with him. Like, that's funny. Yeah. And it's sort it feels sort of funny when you watch it and you're like I mean, waiting for the joke to happen and then never happens. Even the stuff that I'm saying is funny or like these people that have evident comic talent that isn't able to come to fruition here. Uh, it's funny in hindsight. It's funny in the, like, I know that this is funny, but I did not laugh once while watching the film. I think I got like close. I was like edging about. towards laughter uh, during the cameo with John Lithgow just because it was sort of a clever conceit. I don't know. But like, it was a British accent bleak. for some reason. Yeah, it's bleak. Dave, tell tell us yeah. tell tell us about the joke that the one joke that you liked that like right. I just spoiled for Dave me. Dave liked the joke that he loved. Yeah, James McAvoy shows up for like ninety seconds, two minutes of this movie, um, and just shows up and is very curious why a character's running and chases them down, saying, "Why are you running?" And that <laughs> and is the like, moment that works. Sure that was, that was the joke. No, he has some good uh, pantomime being on a phone call business. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's, that's all after. It's just you're watching a movie. You're in the last third. You've already seen some weird fucking cameos that don't make any sense to you. And this character who's <laughs> running away turns a corner, and James McAvoy's there, who just goes, "Why are you running? Why are you running?" And then starts chasing her down. That was the one moment in the movie where I was like, "That's hilarious." You did not but, enjoy um, a certain star from the Star Wars saga appear. Nope, in too the fucking weird. That was so fucking weird. Out of the mirror to kiss weird. Pedro Pascal, and then Let's... he enters the mirror to fuck her. You don't enjoy that? I mean, I think. And I mean, I, think... I don't understand what reality that was taking yeah. place in because that isn't the even the drug mon- montage. I think high concept. That isn't even bits, the drug montage. High concept bits don't really suit a movie that was made in this way and written on the fly. But I do want to just sort of bring us back to um, something we haven't even broached on uh, air yet, which is sort of the, the impetus for having this conversation in the first place, which is. The fact that, like, you know, if you are a Netflix subscriber, this movie does not cost much to you. I mean, yes, your Netflix subscription just went up, but I don't think we can put that at the bubble's feet. Um, this is a movie by, you know, by by most measures, at least a once great, if not continuing the great, of The King of Staten Island, I think is, is definitely one of Judd Apatow's better movies. Comedy director, um, as Katie said, a generational figure uh, who is responsible in some capacity for so many of the best comedies of the last 20 years. And it's a movie that I, I, you, most people will not have to pay any additional fee to watch. It's no skin off your nose. What, what is the harm, theoretically? And I don't want to play devil's um, advocate because the harm to me is very personal and that I had to sit there for a grand total of five hours before I even wrote a fucking word about this thing. <laughs> um, but, like, what is, in the abstract, the harm and how nefarious is it if our streaming culture is, per- is uh, perpetuating this? of great filmmakers farting out woefully subpar work if it's just sort of added into the, you know, the interminable dross of streaming content that's out there and that, you know, he wasn't doing anything else anyway. And like, what's, what's the harm here for us? Talk me through it. Uh, I'm just, I'm busy Googling Albert Brooks's speech in broadcast news and actually good movie that knew how it was doing about the devil uh, have, lowering our standards bit by yeah. bit so that we don't notice. And that's what I feel mm. is the harm of something like this. Like Netflix has already done so much to change the way we think of that, movies as yeah. like content and background noise and like who cares if it's good? It's right there. And like it's like Judd Apatow cannot reverse that. But like it just feels painful to watch it someone like who could do better it, fall into in that. But that's not, yeah, it yeah. feels like if, if, he, if he's doing... I mean, like, Jonathan has made indulgent movies with lazy jokes before, but it feels like a really distressing sign of the times that, like, this is how he's getting his movies made. What was that movie? There's, like, it's movie 43 or movie yes, 42. I, or, I referenced like movie that, 43 like in my that. review because that movie yep. is the last comedy I saw featuring so many famous people that felt that scattershot and well, I mean together. that there's also like David Wayne did the 10 uh, way back uh, which was I recently you know, rewatched similar. the 10 the 10 is amazing I, the 10 is I, I think, wonderful I, I think each of those are this type of movie uh, those both work slightly better for me than the bubble from what I remember um, but I think the, the, the real problem with this is we don't uh, like with 
box office you get a little bit of like voting with your dollar and i don't know because netflix keeps all of its data weird like i don't know if this is ultimately harmless swing and a miss it's a giant company i'm glad everybody got paid or if it's going netflix is going to be like oh more of this because this is what everybody was sort of fearing when we made the transition to netflix being a studio is that they wouldn't make room for the weird middle budget movie they would allow these like bloated nothing previously Adam Sandler movies. Now uh, this Judd Apatow movie that ultimately were like a downstep in those careers. Uh, but who cares? They're on Netflix, you know, this is definitely Sandler-esque, but I, I am feeling a little defensive of this movie for some reason, even though it's completely sliding off my brain. It is not good. Um, I'd rather see people experiment or like, Take the page from Soderbergh's. I don't have Kimmy, to hit a home run every make time. Make fucking Kimmy! I mean, my this, God, this is kind. Well, it is kind of an attempt to make Kimmy because his films have been stuck in this austere mode, meticulous mode, where it's like, okay, he just wants to go off and shoot something, um, and like have half a script to try and use the Apatowian riff to like come up with a whole movie. I think it fails because they needed to go. What's interesting is that I think the premise of the bubble, which, as it goes along, becomes more and more psychotic. Like, eventually, everybody who's in the bubble... It, it should be like a Gaspar Noé movie. Okay, yeah. I mean, so they realize halfway through the movie that no one is letting them leave. And I'm minor spoiler alert here, just to intrigue people... Leslie Mann, who is in the cast of the Cliff Beast movie, tries to leave the... Or she's, just, she's kind of, like, drunk and running around. And eventually, a guard shoots her fingers off. Yep. Uh, and they will not let anyone leave the premise. Now, that's, like... That's pretty crazy. But the movie... I, I was waiting for the movie to either be, like, a Yorgos Lathamos movie like it has the premise like dog tooth yes it could right. have been dog tooth it could have been like greek weird or whatever uh, or it could have been christopher guest like i feel like it's a christopher guest movie that could have completely unwound um but it doesn't really pick a lane it doesn't have a tight but, format that it can like b- crack the structure of and that's the problem where it's like it's it starting does, from it second a... one to be kind of like a loosey-goosey nothing of a movie because that's how they they showed up to, they just wanted to shoot something off the cuff but like it doesn't start on the foot of here's an experiment and we'll do something on the fly it doesn't have a relatable anchor to it as an improv comedy production so even if you're doing like a herald or something you're basing it off right. of real experiences all the characters a lot of which are the side characters that you guys mentioned as like good performances are not the main characters and are only sympathetic for part of a movie because for a period of time they're like, fuck these rich people, let them stay and rot here, we get all the money, like, woohoo. And for a second we have somebody to root for, but then all of them have to get sucked into this, like, fucking, fucking Michigan with everybody else. And so there's yeah. nobody to root for. I, I, I know the pandemic was hard on everybody, <laughs> but my <laughs> pandemic was not spent with any of these problems. Like, no. my bubble was with me from the beginning, so I didn't have to, like, isolate. I don't have, like, this weird uh, Kate McKinnon studio executive forcing me to work because, you know, it's us and Tom Cruise and we stand for the industry. All of these things are problems that I knew Hollywood was having, but I was so preoccupied with the rest of the world that I'm not able to relate to any of these problems. Yeah. And it goes like that for two hours. Well, there it's not a... even like they establish them as characters who, like, yeah. like, like you think of Karen Gill at the center of the movie, and she's, like, lovely and funny, but her character doesn't mean anything. And no, none of them are even given, like, a vague, like, sketch of something that would work. Yeah. Like, what does this person Well, want? she does have a boyfriend that she is trying to stay with, and that, like, is half relatable, and then it totally But is that, like, away, a, it doesn't really drive any of her behavior. No, it's there's, not Katie's like a, right. There's, like, a fatal, there's a fatal misstep in the first scene when the character's actually come together in the hotel which is that it's just all thrown about like there's just no sense of order there's no sense of like, character arts don't know anyone. yeah it's just it's just a complete mess and the movie i don't think and like really keegan michael key is supposed to be like a scientology guru sort of but it's not really part of his thing like it's 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 not easy in a comedy to be like here's this character here's that character but like when you watch it happen in a good comedy where you get here's who here's who they are here's what they want moving on and like 
John Apatow knows how to do that, and he didn't bother, and that drove me crazy. Yeah, what's weird yeah. is all of Apatow's early comedies that are revered are like, we have to care about the characters, we have to care about their arcs, and then we have to lace it all with jokes. It's completely just thrown to the wind here. Like, even if you're making something silly, the rule book yeah. that he created is just not existent in the book. Well, it's like even even funny people, you need to feel that tension between the famous person and the not famous person. That's why it works. Don't here, even funny people that... me. That's his best movie. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but there's... Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing here to grab onto because I don't care about this movie and I don't care about any of the characters there. Even David Duchovny, who's basically playing... From what I understand, 50% David Duchovny and 50% Judd Apatow in this movie uh, doesn't have enough character development for whatever he's doing in this movie. It's but very I, th- I think no. one of the issues is that you know the, the movie pokes fun from the very opening title card at the idea of like the um, you know self-absorbed celebrities, sort of like poking fun of the Imagine video and the idea that like they need to provide entertainment. They are the real heroes. They are saving us from the doldrums of this pandemic. Um, the show must go on. And the movie is poking fun at that. And yet I do feel, and I felt cynical arriving at this place, but after watching the movie twice, I felt like I had no other choice. Like the movie can't entirely extricate itself from this feeling that we should be grateful that they were able to make anything from these conditions. Mm. And I, I, I will defend Jed Apatow, you know, you know, as far as his movies are concerned, the ones he's directed more than you'll than defend most his people. Will Smith uh, slap tweet. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, <laughs> um, but there were a lot of bad tweets flying that night, and that was one of them. Um, maybe several of them. I think he doubled down. I don't remember. I was. Uh, he's not, not the looking, one but... who compared it to 9/11. We can give him Boy, credit for that. That's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a low bar, but congrats to Apatow. Uh, but you know, I I, I feel like there is a little bit of perspective. I mean, it's the kind of thing where it's like, had the movie worked and been funny, this wouldn't have been thrown at it, but it, it does feel like a little bit of perspective is lost all around. Um, and it's never, you know, none of his movies have made it so hard to be grateful that he is making them. Um, I think he'll rebound. I think he'll probably go back to the kind of stuff. If he, you know, the next time he directs a feature, he's got a George Carlin documentary coming out. It'll be his third feature length doc, but um, I think he'll make something more in the vein of, uh, this is 40 he's been talking about making a sequel to that which is you know we'll see and or it's something in the vein of the king of staten island his like james l brookie in comedies i do think this was kind of dependent on the circumstances by which it was made but uh man if another pandemic comes down the pike if and when uh maybe that up, i should sit that one out um, yeah yeah i still think the uh, the the big problem as we've highlighted is if this becomes uh, not a isolated incident, but what people think of as can be part of their careers is then I go to Netflix and I get paid a lot to make shit. Uh, I, I would like that not to be a career path people could possibly take. Listen up, Rachel Zegler. Don't do it. Don't be <laughs> yeah, in the bubble Don't do too. it, Rachel. Don't listen to John Apatow if he calls you during the pandemic. Um, to, to wrap up, do, do we... Does this feel like a... Are, do we, are people going to have a taste for... Like COVID, grappling entertainment. Who do people I feel want like to experience this in this form? I'm just yeah. There was something about Kimmy that was like just enough to give me that buzz where I'm like, yeah, it's about the pandemic, but not about the pandemic. You know, I don't know if a Tropic Thunder, but with COVID, was ever going to be like a good idea. That's like mm. not that the premise is too head on for what the subject matter is. They don't I think say there's COVID. Definite, yeah, they do really? once or twice. Well, they don't have the rights. Once or twice. Yeah. I mean, anyway, it's actually like, Sony owned, even though it's Marvel. the The good comedy that comes out of COVID isn't about the virus. It's about something that kept us all apart and how that made something funny. And I still think that movie's in us, just like Kimmy was in Steven Soderbergh. So but I hope somebody comes up with what's it. What's fucked up about the bubble is that it feel it, it, it's weird and and depressing in a way that. I don't remember anything else being depressing. Watching a movie that feels this dated about the pandemic that you are still currently in. I mean, again, I had COVID while I was watching this movie. Um, and I, I'm not saying too soon. I've seen a number of movies, some of them very funny, about COVID that I would recommend. There was yeah. one, I can't remember what they ended up calling it. It premiered at South by Southwest last year. It's either called Recovery or Stop and Go. I can't remember what title it was at the festival and what they 
ended up releasing it was. Uh, very funny. Um, but uh, fuck, I just sounded like Trump. It's very funny. Very funny. Um, but the um, uh, but like it's just like it, it's wild to feel something so dated that you're like this is still happening. Like this, it's insane that I'm watching something that feels like it was made nine thousand years ago, and it's only making the purgatory of this pandemic, the bubble that we've sort of all been living in in time, feel more torture. Wait till he hears about uh, racism. Felt the which well, which Dave, felt that's, the most Dave, dated. that's like a, it was, you know, it was the part where Kate McKinnon was like, I have the vaccine. Like, I don't know if you guys can get it. It was like, guys, that was like a three month uh, period where that was uh, true. That, that was, like, that was I, dated, I thought yeah. the, uh, the John Cena. <laughs> Dave, Dave's joke about racism. I just want to point out. Oh well, God. Yeah. The zoom, zoom freezing but, joke. From John Cena, that's <laughs> thank you, David. Also. I, I, heard you, I, I love I you and I hear you, but also it's like, it's like, but I, the, I think yeah, there is, this is there also is something like we're different g- about a an abstract condition versus an event. <laughs> like, that, yeah, that's yeah. The, the I mean, I, I think like to Katie's point, uh, I don't want like a vaccine uh, comedy. Like, I don't want like a booster comedy, but like a dealing with COVID <laughs> comedy. I think that's going to be evergreen for a little while. Don't watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Don't end oh on like a, something meaningful, not about this movie. It's the bubble. It's bad. Everybody should feel bad who made it oh, wow. uh, because they're millionaires. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, no, no, they should. They should don't, all feel I bad. I mean, don't, yeah, you don't have to feel like you need to reward Netflix. And people. I mean, this is in the top 10. It is hanging on in the top eight. I think it's behind uh, Shrek Forever After the second part. Was there a direct sequel just to like a spinoff what? of just the fourth Shrek movie? I don't know. Hold no, on. I was I think, looking at the top. I think Puss in the Boots top 10. Is the only Shrek It's film. behind Shrek Forever After, the final chapter. I can't. I don't know if the final chapter is just like an extra addendum onto Shrek Forever After. It's behind The Blind Side, which is currently crouched at number two. Netflix. On the a Netflix strange, A strange platform. Um, and it's on uh, Coco Melon, behind Coco Melon, a show that oh. I think mm, my son only watched once while waiting at the allergist several months ago, and then the other day said, I want to watch Coco Melon. And I was like, uh-huh. what the yeah, fuck? no, it's, uh, it's <laughs> like it's an implant in their brains. I had him exercise yeah. immediately. This uh, might not make the podcast, but I'll go for it. Have you guys heard about Old Enough? Yes, oh, I'm extremely. Oh I, yeah, I'm, where like yeah. kids do kids do yeah. stuff by themselves. Kids do weird. chores. Dave, Dave, we got to save that for like its own segment. Yeah, we all right. Well, maybe that. old enough coming up with the future. Netflix, still interesting stuff on there. Just not the bubble. Don't watch it. <laughs> that does it for this week's show. Next week, we're talking about everything, everywhere, all at once, which will be in theaters everywhere in the U.S. this weekend. So go buy a ticket like I'm going to, and watch it with us. Uh, in the meantime, uh, well, Matt Patch is by. We'll see you. When yeah, you know. I'm, I'm, I was <laughs> going to be there for that. I was so excited to be part of that episode. But I was- not happening it's coming too early now yeah uh bring us your month late take whenever you rejoin us um uh in the meantime everybody else tell the people who you are you go first where can we where can they find you that patch is nowhere on hiatus on hiatus (laughs) but still read polygon they need help uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am unfortunately not going on hiatus anytime soon, but uh, you can find me doing, you know, whatever it is that I can do when uh, my toddler doesn't have COVID um, on IndieWire and at, on Twitter at David Ehrlich. Uh, and what else? Right. You can find all of us together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We will read it. I always say live on the show. It's live for us. It's not live for you, except for our special call-in episode, which I would love to do again someday. Um, but we'll read it on the show all the same. Or if you would like to send us a review by other means, particularly if you're not in the United States, you can email us. Dave, where can they email us? You can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Especially hit us there with those international reviews. We didn't have any this week. Which means if we didn't get a review, we would have had to talk about a Star Wars mobile Wait, game. Wait, Dave, the way, I teed you up, from David and I. the way I teed you up robbed you of a chance to tell the people who you are. I'm gonna, I'll get there. Okay. Let's talk about all of us, first of all. That's where you email us. You definitely need it if you don't want to hear about Star Wars. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me on this podcast called Trial by Content. It's with Joanna Robinson and Neil Miller. It's on the Ringer Network. You could find it wherever fantastic podcasts can be found. Uh, and I'm Kenny Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Goldman Podcast, where this week we're doing 2023 Oscar predictions. Don't scoff. There's fun stuff to talk about. Uh, and uh, sometimes I'm still watching where there's lots more talking about We Crashed, which you should listen to. 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, and you can follow us all on Twitter at FITWR, where you can. Uh, I don't know. What should people do with this this week? Tell us about your the one joke that worked for you in the bubble or answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of ambulance, where does the next Jake Gyllenhaal hostage situation take place? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Should have said fictional. Don't take Jake Gyllenhaal hostage because <laughs> we told you to. That would be bad. I've been the stallion, you've been the seahorse Don't need a report, don't need a press run All of my bad picks been all my best ones I wear the hat and I wear the pants I am advanced so I get advanced And I do my dance and cancel the plans And boo, don't be mad cause you had a chance yeah, I-